This teaching comes to you from the team at Anchor Church Sydney. We hope you're blessed by it. For more teachings, resources or info, check out our website www.anchorchurch.com.au We are going to open the Word of God together. It's probably a good thing to do when you're at church, right? To open the Bible. We are a people of the book and we believe that this is God's Word to us. Uh, This morning we're starting our Easter series called Tragedy and Triumph, which is a bit of a play on Winston Churchill's last book at the end of World War II, Triumph and Tragedy. We just kind of flipped it around because it doesn't really work. The resurrection comes after the death of Jesus, so it's tragedy followed by triumph. But one of the things we wanted to do this Easter is picking up on the current climate of our world, um, staring at what's happening in Russia and Ukraine, to think about the peace that Jesus brings uh, and the earth-shattering, world-changing impact of the death and resurrection of Jesus. So this morning, James is going to open our series. We are in Luke chapter 19 this morning. If you have a Bible, you can open it up. Luke chapter 19, starting at verse 28. And if you don't, the verses will be on the screen behind me. Luke chapter 19, verse 28 says this. After Jesus had said this, he went on ahead, going up to Jerusalem. As he approached Bethphage and Bethany at the hill called the Mount of Olives, he sent two of his disciples saying to them, Go to the village ahead of you, and as you enter it, you will find a colt tied there, which no one has ever ridden. Untie it and bring it here. If anyone asks you, why are you untying it? Say, the Lord needs it. Those who were sent ahead went and found it just as he had told them. As they were untying the colt, its owners asked them, Why are you untying the colt? They replied, The Lord needs it. They brought it to Jesus and threw their cloaks on the coat, their cloaks on the colt, and put Jesus on it. As they went along, people spread their cloaks on the road. And when he came to the came near to the place where the road goes, Down the Mount of Olives, the whole crowd of disciples began joyfully to praise God in loud voices for all of the miracles they had seen. Blessed is the King who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven and glory in the highest. Good morning, church. Morning. Morning. It's great to see you here today. I'm thrilled to be with you. I was a bit unwell earlier in the week, so it's good to be able to be here with my family today on a Sunday morning. Shout out to everyone tuning in online as well. We love you guys, and uh, we hope that we can see you in person in the room soon. Uh, my name is James, and I hadn't mentioned yet, I'm one of the pastors here at Anchor City and also part of West Pimble Gospel Community. And uh, I'm excited to preach this morning, Palm Sunday, so let me pray for us and myself. Father God, thank you so much for your goodness. Thank you so much for your grace to us that you come near through Jesus. And so as we begin this series heading into Easter, Lord, would you remind us again of the truth? Would you show us again the beauty of your Son? Uh, Would you impress upon us uh, everything that he is, all that he has come to do and what that means for us. And so, Holy Spirit, I pray that you speak through me this morning. Open our eyes, open our hearts, Lord, to behold you. And we pray all these things in Jesus' name. And all God's people said, 
Amen, amen. Well, I wanted to start this message uh, this morning by asking you what your favorite entrance is. What your favorite entrance is. Uh, no, I'm not talking about doorways or openings. I'm talking about as you think back on your life, what are some of the favorite memories that you have of times where you know, either yourself uh, or you witness someone entering a room or, or a space? Or maybe it was that sports event where your favorite team entered to the pyrotechnics and the flamethrowers and the music. I know I love that. Uh, when I went to see some NBA games in the U.S. a couple of years ago. Well, I was thinking about it for myself uh, this week in my prep, and I narrowed it down to a few things. Uh, unfortunately, NBA didn't quite make the cut. But ultimately, I had to go with my own wedding day as having some of my favorite entrances. I know that's the uh, correct thing to say when your wife is sitting somewhere down here in one of the first few rows. Uh, but back in March 18, 2017, the day that we got married, a few of my favorite entrances. Uh, the first was when I was standing at the altar waiting for Katie to arrive and the music started to play and the bridesmaids came down one by one. And uh, of course, we had perfectly timed it so that the crescendo of the song was the part where she would come out to this flurry of like voices through the speaker and uh, she came out, and I totally lost it, and I uh, was crying. And that was one of my favorite entrances. And my other favorite entrance from that day was when we arrived at our wedding reception, and for the first time, we're able to enter and be introduced as husband and wife. Now, I was actually very tired and quite overwhelmed, and so I didn't quite like, you know, some people come in with these amazing entrances, um, I felt like I was actually a bit awkward in hindsight. I'm happy to admit that. Any guesses as to the song that we entered to at the reception? Any guesses? Shout it out. No guesses. Wow, guys, such a participatory audience this morning. Don't worry, I was going to tell you anyway. Crazy in Love by Beyonce was the song that we entered to at our reception uh, Katie is a massive fan of the Queen. So this morning, it's Palm Sunday, and I'm preaching from a passage that has a different type of memorable entrance. It's Jesus' triumphant entry into Jerusalem the week before his crucifixion and his resurrection. And so if you have a Bible there, why don't you open up to Luke chapter 19. We're going to go through the passage. We're going to try and immerse ourselves into the story and uh, see what God has for us this morning. So Luke chapter 19, starting in verse 28, and uh, I'm in the NIV translation, words up on the screen behind me if you want to follow along there as well. So let's set the scene, all right? Let's set the scene. Luke says, verse 28, after Jesus had said this, he went on ahead going up to Jerusalem. And as he approached Bethphage and Bethany at the hill called the Mount of Olives, he sent two of his disciples saying to them, Go to the village ahead of you, and as you enter it, you will find a colt tied there, which no one has ever ridden. Untie it and bring it here. If anyone asks you, why are you untying it? Say, the Lord needs it. It's good that he kind of gives them a bit of 
prep about what to say. People are like, why are you stealing my donkey? Just say the Lord needs it. Verse 32, those who were sent ahead went and found it just as he had told them. And as they were untying the colt, as Jesus said would happen, its owners asked them, why are you untying the colt? And they replied, verse 34, the Lord needs it. And so they brought it to Jesus, threw their cloaks on the colt and put Jesus on it. As he went along, people spread their cloaks on the road. So just pause there and point out a few observations. And the first thing we notice is that Jesus here calls for a cult, which if you're, unfamiliar, if you're unfamiliar with, a cult is like a young male donkey, typically under the age of four years old. And this is like classic Jesus is God in the scriptures because he already knows exactly the one that he wants to ride because he knows exactly where it is. And so he tells his disciples where it is and tells them to go and bring it to him. And so they do this. And I always thought it was puzzling reading this text, like why the owners were just fine with them taking it. It's like go and try and like go, go down the street, go to a car, try and put a key into it or something. And like, hey, what, what are you doing with that car? Oh, the Lord needs it. Off you go then. And so they get the colt and they bring it to Jesus and they put their cloaks on the colt or the donkey. And as Jesus begins to ride it, begins to make his way up to Jerusalem, people spread their cloaks on the road for him and the donkey to walk over. And so this is kind of like a rolling out of the red carpet for you know, a guest of honor or tossing down flower petals on the ground so that royalty doesn't have to step on the ground. That's kind of the thing that's happening here as the people put their cloaks, they lay their cloaks down on the road so that Jesus and the donkey don't have to walk on the ground. A sign of respect, a sign of honor. Let's pick up, let's pick up the story. Verse 37. And when he came near the place where the road goes down the Mount of Olives, the whole crowd of disciples began joyfully to praise God in loud voices for all the miracles they had seen. Verse 38, blessed is the king who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven and glory in the highest. And so the second thing to notice here is how Jesus' triumphal entry, it actually fulfills Old Testament prophecy, specifically an Old Testament prophecy found in the book of Zechariah, chapter 9, verse 9. It'll be up on the screen behind me. Zechariah 9, verse 9 says this, written Years before this happened, the author writes, the prophet writes, Rejoice greatly, daughter Zion. Shout, daughter Jerusalem. Catch this. See, your king comes to you, righteous and victorious, lowly and riding on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a donkey. And so no doubt Luke, the writer of this account that we're looking at today, would have had this passage in mind as he, as he penned the events of this day, as he wrote them down, as would have God-fearing Jews who were familiar with their own ancient texts and prophecies, who were there on that day witnessing this happen, watching Jesus come in. Because they were so well-versed in their traditions, they would have had this come to mind thinking, wow, that, this scene seems familiar. Zechariah 9, verse 9. And so the people respond to Jesus' entry with shouts of praise and adulation and exclamation, and they begin to bless him and praise God in his name, crying out, 
Verse 38, blessed is the king who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven and glory in the highest. And so if you were like an onlooker, a bystander on that day, and you just started hearing these people yelling and shouting these things, like you would have just been sucked in to see, wow, what's happening? Who is this person? And people are blessing him and they're praising him. And the first part of this blessing is taken from Psalm 118, verse 26, which, said, which says, Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. While the second part is very similar to what the angels said at the birth of Jesus in Luke chapter 2. Notice how the people here, they say, Peace in heaven and glory in the highest. And if you think back to the beginning of Luke, when Jesus' birth happens and there's a multitude of angels in the heavens praising God, they say, glory to God in the highest heaven and on earth, peace to those on whom his favor rests. And so we have all these glimmers and shadows of Old Testament prophecy and, and Jewish tradition and, and scripture taken from the Psalms and even back to the beginning recorded events of Jesus' birth. You see, just as the multitudes of angels recognized Jesus as King and Messiah at the beginning of Luke chapter 2, so here do the people, do the Jews recognize him similarly as God's anointed one. The return of the King. And so what are we to make of Jesus' triumphal entry on that Palm Sunday, on this Palm Sunday? What are we to make of that? Well, the big takeaway this morning is, is this, and if you're taking notes, you can jot this down. The big takeaway is that Jesus came bringing peace with God. Jesus came bringing peace with God. God. Let me, let me unpack that for us. You see, one of the most significant things that we see in the text is about the way in which Jesus enters Jerusalem. It's the manner in which he comes, namely the animal that he chooses to ride. Now, I want you to remember that Jesus's entrance on that day was a declaration, as we just saw with all of these glimmers from the Old Testament. It was a declaration that he was the Messiah, the King of Israel, God's chosen one. And so it should be peculiar to us that Jesus didn't choose to enter on a horse, a beast that represented great military might at the time, but instead on a lowly donkey. Let, let me unpack this for us further. This is what Stephen Baker says about horses in those days. He says, horses were majestic animals and often the choice mount of a king. So these, these were the king's choice animal. They symbolized majesty and power. They were also beasts of war. And whenever a king rode out to meet his enemy in battle, he would do so on a horse. See, in those days, the horse was the animal of a conquering, victorious militaristic king. And yet here is Jesus, the king of the Jews, God's chosen one, the Messiah, entering Jerusalem, not on a horse, but on a donkey. A creature who in those days typically symbolized peace. Like when someone was to ride a donkey back in those days, it would be a symbol of peace. In fact, 
Sometimes donkeys were even used to enact treaties between two hostile groups of people, two hostile forces. And so what did it mean? What does it mean that Jesus came riding on a donkey instead of a horse? Well, what it means is that the type of victory that Jesus came to achieve was very different from what his people anticipated or expected from him. You see, his people expected him to bring this victory in the form of a militaristic defeat of the Roman Empire. That was the context of the time that the Jews, the the, the nation of Israel was under the foreign rule of Rome, the the juggernaut, the power of the day. And they, they were yearning for liberation. They were yearning for freedom. But instead, Jesus comes to defeat their greater enemies of sin, death, and the devil. So his people expected him to wage war on their physical enemies, on those outside of themselves, but instead he went after their spiritual enemies, the ones waging war on their souls. You see, his people expected him to lead them into a golden era of post-war peace, but instead he paved the way for them to have peace with God. So come with me to Colossians chapter 1 and let's see how the Apostle Paul explains this idea further about how Jesus makes peace with God possible. This is from the Apostle Paul in Colossians 1, this beautiful, incredible passage as he describes the person and the nature of who Jesus is. Read along with me. Paul says, The Son is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. For in him all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities. All things have been created through him and for him. He is before all things, and in him all things hold together. And he is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning and the firstborn from among the dead, so that in everything he might have the supremacy Now check this, because this is the important part that ties this together to peace with God. Verse 19, For God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in him, and through him, catch this, to reconcile to himself all things, whether things on earth or things in heaven, by what? By making peace through his blood shed on the cross. See, this is what the Apostle Paul is saying about Jesus in his letter to the Colossians, that that through Jesus, God has reconciled all things to himself, both things in the heavens, things on earth, including people, including us, by making peace through his blood shed on the cross. You see, Jesus, through his sacrificial death on the cross, makes peace and reconciliation with God possible for everyone. And as he entered Jerusalem that day, as he, as he walked and rode on that donkey, that was what he came to do. It's just his people didn't quite understand what he had come for. Their expectations were misaligned. They didn't realize that he had come to make, to bring them peace with God 
through the shedding of his blood. By voluntarily surrendering his life to pay for the lives of everyday, ordinary sinners, just people who don't have it all together, people with mess and brokenness, just like you and like me. And so the Jews had it twisted. They were hoping for peace in their age, but little did they know that Jesus was paving the way for them to experience peace with God forever. And so that's our passage today. And I hope that you have a a better grasp, a better understanding of the significance of Jesus' entry on that day, his choice of the donkey and what that meant as he rode in. But what does that mean for us? What does that mean for us today as we celebrate Palm Sunday and as we look forward to Easter? Well, I believe this passage raises two important questions for us to ask ourselves as we examine our own responses to Jesus. And the first question is is this. You can write this down if you're taking notes. The first question is this. What are your expectations of Jesus? What are your expectations of Jesus? What are you expecting If you're someone who is a follower of Jesus, maybe you put your trust in him, you've decided to give him your life, what do you think that he came to do for you? Or maybe what are you expecting him to do for you by virtue of him being your king? You see, here at Anchor, we talk about expectation a lot. We talk about having a sense of expectancy as a church, in our community, as we gather in our everyday lives as we serve God and we partner with Him. And we base that expectancy on the promises of God in Scripture. But that's not what I'm talking about this morning. What I'm talking about this morning is the misplaced expectations that the Jews had and that we too can have in our discipleship to Jesus today. What do I mean? What do you mean, James? Misplaced expectations. What, what, What misplaced expectations do I have? You know, sometimes when we read the scriptures, it's easy to judge the way that God's people sometimes falter in faith or they misunderstand things. Like it's easy to judge them for their ignorance, their, their seeming, seemingly short-sightedness. I mean, take this passage, for example. I mean, how foolish of the Jews not to understand that Jesus came to save them from their sins, not from Rome, Right? Like, didn't they get it? I'm sure if we were there in those days, we would have known exactly why Jesus had come. Like, we would have got it right. Like, Jesus, we know why you're here. It's not to free us from Rome. It's to die for our sins, to justify us. I've read Paul. I've seen the future. But see, that's the gift of over 2,000 years of hindsight and the gift of the Bible. That we know the right answers. We We have the theology the knowledge of God. But what about in our own lives? Do we have any misplaced expectations of Jesus? You see, it's so easy. Like you see the disciples in the Gospels and you're like, oh, they're so dumb. Like they just don't get it. 
Or you read the Old Testament and you hear about Israel and how they just continuously turned away from God and they rebelled against Him or they didn't show faith and trust in His promises. And it's like, man, if I was there in those days, like I would never have faulted because I know God. But what about in our lives? And I think if we're honest, if we honestly self-reflect maybe on how we're feeling right now, maybe on how we have felt in a season or in seasons past, there's a long list of things that we too easily can begin to expect from Jesus, as if he owes us those things for following him. And I'm not talking about asking for things, because it's good to ask for things from God. I'm talking about the expectation that this is what Jesus has come to do for me specifically in my life. So why don't we rip the band-aid off this morning? What, what are the things, the misplaced expectations that we have? Well, maybe it's for a relationship. Maybe it's for that special someone. Maybe a future spouse that you've been longing for and praying for all these years. Lord, when are you going to bring me a godly man or woman? Maybe it's that exciting new job opportunity or that promotion that you've been slaving for and you feel like you so deserve it. God, why won't you give that to me? Jesus, don't you care? Maybe it's that brand new home. Maybe it's the restoration of a broken relationship. Maybe it's an estranged family member coming home. Maybe it's freedom and relief from struggles with mental illness or healing from a physical ailment. And, and don't get me wrong, these are, these are all good things to ask for. And we wholeheartedly believe here at Anchor that God is our Heavenly Father, a good dad who delights in giving us good things as Jesus has said in the Gospels, and so we are not ashamed to approach Him and ask Him for those things. And He delights to give them to us. But that's very different from do we expect that Jesus owes those things to us? Do we expect that when we make Jesus our King, our, our, His kingship comes attached with all of these things as well? Do we live, think, or believe on any level that He owes us? And how would we respond? How would you respond if you never got those things? Maybe some of them. Like that prayer for a spouse never got answered. That job promotion was given to someone else. You went to that auction and you missed out again. Your family, your parents keep fighting. You've been praying for years that they would be reconciled and they're still at each other's throats. How would you respond? Would you get angry at God? Would you question if Jesus really is who he says? Are you really the Messiah? Are you really God? Are you really even there at all? Because it seems like you don't care. You're not doing what I thought you would do. You're not doing what I expected you to do. Would you even maybe walk away from him? You see, God has promised us many incredible things in the Scriptures. And he is a, a good dad, as I've said, who delights in giving us good Yes, but there are also many things in this life and in this world that simply have not been promised to us by Him. And I know that for some of us, that might be hard 
to hear. But as a church and as a pastor, I'm not here to tell you what you want to hear. I'm here to tell you the truth of what God has said and how sad it would be to, to heighten your expectations for things that He never promised. You see, it's such a tragedy when people store up anger and bitterness in their hearts towards God or even end up walking away from Him because they believe that He is withholding things that He never actually promised them. So what are your expectations of Jesus? What do you believe that He came to do? Well, we've learned already in this passage that Jesus came to bring us peace with God. And, and the second question I want to ask us this morning is this, do you know that peace? Do you know that peace? Have you experienced the freedom and the rest that comes from knowing that you have peace with your Creator? And the good news is that if you are a follower of Jesus here today, if you've already put your trust and your faith in Him, then it's already yours. Peace with God is already yours in Christ. Whether you feel it or not, know this, that you have peace with God, not because of anything you've done, because of, but because of what Jesus already did 2,000 years ago when He came to die for you on the cross. That though you were an enemy with God, though we had enmity with God, separation from Him relationally, Jesus made us friends by befriending us and going to the cross to die for us. And so if you are a follower of Jesus here today, if you love Him, you call Him Lord and King, I want to invite you this morning, I want to say to you, you can rest in that. Just like you can take a big breath and then exhale and rest in the fact that you have peace with God. Despite the restlessness in your soul that, that, that we feel so often, you can rest in that peace. You can know God is not angry with you. He's not. He's not waiting for you to stuff up. He doesn't have his back turned. No, you can draw near to him knowing that you have peace with him that you can talk to Him, you can approach Him. It's not going to get mad. Why are you disturbing me? Nah, what's up, kid? So good to talk to you today. But maybe you're here today or maybe you're listening today, maybe you're watching online and you don't know that piece. And maybe you've been searching for it for a while. Maybe you've been searching for it your whole life, and maybe you've lived your whole life with this just nagging sense of restlessness and unease that you can't quite seem to find a remedy for, that you can't quite seem to shake. And here's the truth, because this is the human experience. I think we can all testify to this. We all want peace. Isn't that right? 
Like we all want peace, but, but here's where we've got it wrong. We think that it's something that we have to achieve. We think that it's something that we can only get after we've finished doing X, Y, and Z. If I just get that thing, well, then I'll have peace and rest. If I, if I just can achieve that milestone, if I can just get to that point in my career, in my influence, in my platform, if I can just have those friends, if I just get that person, uh, then when I lay down at night, I will have peace. I'll be at rest. If, if I can just, and maybe this one is the truest of our generation today, if I can just learn how to accept myself more and, and be the truest version of myself, then I'll have peace. And there is varying degrees of truth in all of those things. Yes, there is satisfaction that comes from earning certain things or achieving certain things or being a certain type of person. There's a measure of inner peace that we can acquire through some of those different things. But the truth is ultimate peace, the peace that we truly need and hunger for and desire and thirst for, it's not something that we can achieve. It's something that we receive. See, the answer to that restlessness is not more of this thing or this milestone or this accomplishment or this person. The answer to that restlessness and that sense of unease in your soul is a right relationship with God, peace with God. That in any circumstance and in any season, you can know whatever's happening outside of me, around me, in the world. I don't know, coronavirus, the pandemic, elections, wars, unrest in my family, mental health struggles, crazy things happening at work, whatever is happening. Despite those things, I can rest because I have peace with God. My soul is right and at rest with Him. That's what Jesus does for us. That's what only Jesus can do for you. By reconciling you to the Father, by mending what was a broken relationship, He invites us into peace. Peace with the Creator, peace with our Heavenly Father. And so as I close, I wanna call people to respond this morning and if you want to have peace with God, if as I've been sharing and explaining these things, had this sense of, I want that. Like, I, I want that and I don't have that. I want to let you know that today is as good a day as any to receive peace with God. As we remember Jesus entering Jerusalem on Palm Sunday, the question before us, the question before you is the same question that was before the people who watched and looked on on that day. It is, will you receive this man for who he is? Will you see him for who he is and receive him truly for who he is and what he came to do? And so if you want to receive Jesus today, I'm going to lead us in a prayer. For anyone who might be in the room who doesn't know Jesus, who hasn't experienced this peace, or maybe you've tuned in online, 
I don't know how you found us, but you want to respond to that. I want to pray for you as well. So if we could just all stand up, if we could all stand, we're about to transition to worship. If we could all be standing and just bow our heads, close our eyes. And with every head bowed and every eye closed, if you this morning would like to receive that peace and give your life to Jesus, I just invite you just to raise your hands. Just raise your hand. And if you're online, maybe just press that button that's going to pop up that says, I want to give my life to Jesus. And I'm going to pray this prayer. I want you to pray along with me in the quietness of your heart and mind. Dear Lord Jesus, I know that I'm a sinner and I ask for your forgiveness. I believe that you died for my sins on the cross and you rose from the dead. I turn from my sins and I invite you to come into my heart and life. I want to trust and follow you as my Lord and Savior. Thank you for winning peace with God for me. In your name I pray. Amen. Amen. And so if you prayed that prayer today, wherever you are, that's incredible. And the best next step that you can take is to tell someone about that, to let them know. And uh, we here at Anchor would love to know that as well so we can be part of your journey and support you in the things that God has for you as well. So we're going to respond by lifting our voices. So let me lead us in prayer one more time as we transition to worship. Our Father God, I thank you so much for sending us your son. He didn't have to, Jesus, you didn't have to enter Jerusalem that day. You knew what you were doing. Uh, you knew the road that lay ahead and yet, yet you chose to go forward, to continue anyway. And even though your people pictured some kind of glorious, victorious triumph, you knew, Lord, that victory would only come by the laying down of your life and the shedding of your blood. And so we praise you because you are a gracious, loving, merciful King. And Lord, for, for us here today, for the Anchor family, Lord, for those of us who follow you, where there are expectations in our lives that may be misaligned, I pray that you would realign them. And, and not, by, not by kind of telling ourselves that you don't want to give us good things, but by recognizing that not only do you want to give us good things, even if we don't get them, Lord, or even if it happens in your timing, we already know your goodness because you've given us the greatest thing in yourself. And so I just pray that you would do the work that only you can do, Holy Spirit. Just lift our eyes towards Jesus, towards who he is, towards all he has done, what he has come to do, Lord. And uh, we worship you this morning for that. In Jesus' name, amen.